Hello, Internet. This is Chase Wassenaar, and welcome to the Steam Cleaners podcast presented by the Rough Drafts Podcast Network. Each week, uh, my lovely co-host and I talk about two games, completely different games from any games that you've heard us talk about on this podcast in the past. Uh, Usually, this would be a final cut week where we'd be talking about movie stuff, but I am bad at planning and did not get to the movie theater in time for our recording session. So we're going to do Steam Cleaners this week. We're going to do Final Cut next week. And of course, when I say we, I am referring to my lovely co-host, the ever-patient Walter C.A.D. Svetchuk. Walter, how you doing, buddy? I am doing, uh, I'm doing pretty well. And, I, you know, I say this to people at work. I say this to Chase. I say this to my partner all the time. Uh, I am, I am anything if not flexible. So I am very, I'm very laissez-faire. I'm very hands-off. And I mean, given the fact that I basically just had like two vacation weekends in a row, I, I I was in Miami two weeks ago. Memorial Day weekend just happened. I'm, I'm relaxed, baby. It's all good. My quarterback is dating Haley Steinfield. Uh, there's rumors he might be on the cover of Madden. It was my kitten's first birthday yesterday. Like, everything is going great uh, out here in the uh, Rochester, New York, Rough Draft Studios. There are no complaints. Uh, but Chase, mm-hmm. it's funny I bring up Josh Allen because... At some point this week, you had sent me a text, which was one of the most baffling things that I had ever been asked, and I somehow had an immediate really re- immediate response for you. You saw a Buffalo Bills number five jersey in a K-pop video, which, to be honest, I don't I don't I don't really listen to K-pop, I don't watch K-pop videos or anything like that. But what the fuck is going on in K-pop? <laughs> Look, man, sometimes they put on sports jerseys for random teams and whatnot in their videos, but I hadn't seen the Bills before, and it was specifically the number five jersey, and she never showed her back. I am trying to remember. Uh, I believe this was uh, Eve Psyche and the Bluebeard's Wife by La Seraphim, I believe is where I saw it. Um, It could have been uh, one of the uh, songs from Secret Number that came out this month. Uh, so I apologize if I got that wrong, people who know what I'm talking about in K-pop. But it is a really interesting time to be a K-pop fan this year. I usually uh, build a short list with friend of the pod, Kristen Pignolo, uh, as we uh, build out our like end of the year top 100 for K-pop. Walter, we are not even through five full months when we are recording this podcast. How many songs do you think I have on what should be an end of the year top 100 list? Well, Chase, considering the fact that uh, out of all the music I've listened to this year, uh, I've only listened to one album that's been published this year. I'm going to say 10. 97. I have 97 songs currently competing for 100 spots and there are seven months to go. So there are two ways to view that. Number one, the work will never be done as far as getting this down to an actual top 100 list. Uh, The other argument is that it's been a very fun year for K-pop for a couple reasons. I I think the biggest is that the kind of post-COVID girl group landscape, girl groups sell less merch than boys. So a lot of girl groups didn't make it through the pandemic, but the ones who did and the ones who started after the pandemic are all really good. They're really polished. They have to stand out from the other girl groups if they want to have a chance to succeed. And some of them are doing really well internationally. Um, People listening to this podcast, if they've heard any K-pop song this year, it is likely Cupid by a group called 5050. Uh, Cupid, I think, was in the top, it was at least top 40 on the Billboard Hot 100 at one point in time. It hit number one in the UK and may have hit top 20 in the US eventually. But that was like a group that wasn't really popular in Korea and the song was just kind of fine. And then it came over uh, internationally and did really, really well. So it went back to Korea and now it's got a second life there, which is unprecedented. Uh, We are seeing the international K-pop fans able to shape the industry in a way that we have not seen before. 
um, which means that you get things like wearing jerseys from popular uh, American sports teams, uh, which is a step up from what previously used to happen, which would be like the Super Bowl champion shirts from the teams that lost the Super Bowl that just kind of get offloaded to other countries that don't know any better. You got a few of those back in like the early 2000s, 2010s kind of era of K-pop. Um, but now you've got some real jerseys up in here. They are, they are trying to uh, appeal and connect with those outside audiences. And I'm here for it. Um, and the boys are doing fine. Uh, there's some, there's some good ones out there. I think a few of them are coasting a little bit because the boys do sell a lot of merch. Um, but the ones that have done really well, uh, have really stepped up. Shout out to you, Innie, if you're listening to this, which I'm sure K-pop groups all love the Steam Cleaners podcast. Um, notoriously, K-pop fans love niche podcasts and gaming from countries and languages they don't typically speak. Um, but uh, but yeah, it's fun, man. K-pop's cool. It's cool to see the development of music in a country that wasn't having an active like pop music scene during so many of the eras that like American pop has experienced because it means they're going back to those sounds now. And so you'll have like a jazz hit, a big band hit. You'll see a lot of 80s synth. You'll see, you know, early 2010 stuff. It's all kind of mixed together in this really interesting mishmash. And it's a fun time. I, I highly recommend if you are at all interested in, in music and have ever thought to yourself, I'd like to see what all those crazy people on social media are up to with this whole K-pop thing. I think now's a pretty good time. Go listen to Bon Voyage by Dreamcatcher. It's a K-Rock song. It's fantastic. I, I promise I listened to absolutely everything you just said. I'm still hung up on... Somehow, you have a list of 97 new songs, right? The, the, this is stuff that's been published this year. Yeah. Came out as a music video with over 100,000 views on YouTube since January 1st. Do you... Is your Spotify wrapped just only music from the year? Like, was your Spotify 2022 mix only songs that were published in 2022? Pretty much, though my Spotify wrapped is always fucked because I listen to a lot of my music when I travel and it doesn't count offline plays. So, like, my most played song of last year had, like, 10 plays because it was added to my list in January. And it was not even in my top 100 by the end of the year list. But all the songs that were, that I was kind of grinding while I was uh, preparing to make that final list, um, none of them made it because Spotify didn't track those. Um, that That is... That is I know we're spending like 10 minutes talking about music here, but like that is fascinating to me because my Spotify lists are almost always like 50% music from like the last, like from the year before that I found. And then there's like 10% of it. That's like music. It's like numb by Linkin Park, right? Like stuff that I just uh, always am like every month. I'm like, oh, I got to listen to that song at least like once. And I, I just don't really listen to new music. And even like when I discover stuff, you know, new stuff to me, I always find out it's an album that the band published like five years ago. And I'm like, oh, well, this is new to me, but like, uh, cool, I guess. <laughs> I'm not joking when I said I think I've only listened to one album that was published in 2023. And um, Amity Affliction, unfortunately, that album was kind of mid. Definitely wasn't your best work. I'm sorry. Well, that's unfortunate, but you know, if you ever need more music, maybe I'll share this in the uh, description for this video. I have a spreadsheet, Walter. You're going to be shocked to hear. I've got a spreadsheet together of every K-pop song with over 100,000 views that has come out uh, with a music video this year. Um, so uh, the list is ready for anyone who wants to find it. But look, this is not an episode of K-pop shenanigans that snuck into your feed on accident. I promise you the logo you see on your uh, phone or whatever listening device you use is correct. This is our gaming podcast. So I have to ask Walter, what have you been playing? So if you all remember the last episode of Steam Cleaners, I had made a comment about how I was going to utilize my Switch uh, while I was on vacation. Um, and I had every intention to do this. 
absolutely every intention. Uh, as I settled in on my uh, my first uh, connecting flight uh, from Rochester, New York to Charlotte, North Carolina, to then be connected to Fort Lauderdale so I could be begin my vacation, uh, we got up into the air, relatively easy takeoff. I don't like flying very much, but relatively easy takeoff. I was in the middle seat, and I went and I pulled out my Switch, and I loaded up uh, Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild, because that was the game I was intending on playing for this podcast. Uh, and I played about 30 minutes of it, cramped in between my partner and this elder gentleman uh, that was reading a, uh, 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 a paper about oncology, uh, and I was uncomfortable, and I was like, I'm, I'm, I'm going to wait until I'm on an aisle seat you know, for this. Um, and then I never played Breath of the Wild again the entire trip. <laughs> I pulled out my, my Switch for about an hour to play some Mario and Rad Rabbids Kingdom Battle. Um, because, like, I, I I don't know. I just didn't want to play Zelda anymore. I just was like, ah, the, the Switch is, like, uncomfortable for me to try to play this. I bought a Bluetooth controller way back in the day originally to play it on. And I was like, you know what? If I want to play this game, I feel like I want to play it on my TV, not on my Switch. Uh, so instead, I played Mario and Rabbids Kingdom Battle. Again, the first one on the Switch, not the one that was released back in October. Yeah, it's it's funny because immediately when you told me this was the game you played, I lit up because this is the one in the series that I've played as well. Um, because turn-based strategy games are always going to be my jam. And this was always kind of billed as Mario and the Rabbids crossed with XCOM, which I think is... I guess a fair way to describe the gameplay, it, albeit, um, you know, there are some some twists there. So I, I guess for for the people at home who haven't played this game like we have, can you give a little bit more information on the kind of gameplay loop that defines the Mario and Rabbit's Kingdom Battle experience? Ah, yes. Uh at its core, it is Mario and Rabbids as playable characters in XCOM 2. Mm -hmm. uh, just at its core. At its very base, you know, it, it's it's turn-based, it's tactical, um, but it's the level of tactics. Um, if XCOM 2 was, let's say it was a full-scale military campaign on par with, like, I don't know, World War II. Um, this would be the equivalent of playing in your little brother's sandbox with green plastic army men and half of them are melted because you left them outside the day before when it was 110 degrees outside. Um, I didn't find it very complex. I didn't expect it to be very complex. It, it's a Nintendo game. Um, but it does have the same, like, hallmarks that you get from one of these turn-based kind of tactics games. You are moving your characters um, around a map. You know, they have limited movement. They have limited shooting range. It's very grid style. And you have a variety of goals that you are trying to accomplish. Sometimes it's just defeat all the enemies. Sometimes it is uh, move from one side of the map to the other. Um, it, it's kind of funny. I thought this had a little bit more similarity to like the Fire Emblem series, which again is another Nintendo system kind of based, uh, you know, tactics game uh, versus XCOM. And yeah, I mean, it has the same charm that you would expect from a Mario game. And it, it has some you know, some funniness, you can jump off of your, your fellow characters and that'll help you gain extra distance on your move. There are a variety of different weapons and abilities and I guess that's kind of where more of the XCOM stuff comes in. Um, yes, you always miss on a 99. I promise you, you will always miss on a 99, uh, much like XCOM. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, I bought it back when it came out back when I first bought my switch back in like, you know, 2017, 2018. Um, cause I just, it looked cute. It looked like it might be a little bit of fun and it looked like it might be a, a great way to kill some time on an airplane, which I thought I was going to do a lot of back then, but then ended up not doing it. And I'm not going to lie. This is the first time I've used my switch in probably six months. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I, I think, the reason I always use my Switch for this show, right, is that I try to play games on a different device than where I work. I don't think you have that same problem 
uh, which means that I, I imagine you want to make use out of that lovely computer that you've built for yourself. Um, but I do, I do agree with a lot of, of, of what you said as far as like what makes this game like work. Um, I, I found the, the big gameplay breakup between this and like an XCOM was the movement. Uh, the ability to jump off of people is one part of that. But in general, every character has these kinds of movement techs that you can bring that encourages a lot more flexibility in its style. And the game grades you on how many turns it takes, right? So you're kind of encouraged to push forward in a way that XCOM never would. XCOM, you kind of have to be patient um, because you know that your characters are permanently dead if you fuck up. Whereas here, you're benefiting from beating the map as quickly as possible, and that means using movement tools a lot more aggressively in a way that gives it kind of a different flow. Would you say, as someone who has played both, that you prefer the more arcadey, fast pace of Mario and Rabbit's Kingdom Battle, or were you finding yourself wishing that you had a little bit more reason to hunker down and be a bit more tactical with it? So I think that it, it's funny, like, you make the comparison of, like, oh, you know, I like to play on my Switch versus, you like to play on your Switch versus me, like, play on my computer, because I think that's kind of where the preference comes down to. If you are, let's say, on a plane at 30,000 feet, and, you know, you're just going to be in the air for a couple hours, and you need something to kill some time, I think that the pacing and the movement uh, aspects of Kingdom Battle make a lot more sense, because you are you want to be a bit more fast paced you don't want to be sitting there taking you know 10 minutes to decide your next move on a turn that's going to be 10 or 15 moves um because yeah there's no consequence you just reload the level if you fail and go on from there whereas if i'm home and i'm sitting you know i'm sitting at my desk with this lovely computer that i built for myself i'm always going to choose the computer and i'm going to choose something that's going to take more time when I'm at my computer, I can load up XCOM, but I can have, you know, I made a chess reference earlier, so let's throw Gotham Chess up here. I can have Gotham Chess on my second monitor and listen to him berate me because I'm not fully paying attention to him because I'm playing XCOM. I think it's very just kind of like what your situation is. Um, let me be honest, like prior to playing it on the plane for like an hour or two, I hadn't touched the game in three, four, five years. So that kind of just tells you like what my preference was at home was utilizing my PC, was playing something like XCOM, was playing something like Crusader Kings, was playing something that is a lot more detailed, a lot more in depth. But when I have this kind of limited scope, right, limited time, limited space, everything, like I could have, I'm pretty sure XCOM is on the Switch. Like I could have bought something similar to XCOM or Fire Emblem for that instance and played that on the Switch. But instead, because I knew I was only going to have an hour, an hour and a half or so in the air, I'd rather have something like this where I could make much more progress. In. Mm -hmm. I, I think that's fair. I, I do. It, it is funny that you mentioned that XCOM is on the Switch because I have XCOM on the Switch um, and I haven't played a ton of it, but I also haven't come back to Mario and Rabbit's Kingdom Battle all that much. I got to like World 3 of Kingdom Battle and then just lost momentum with it. And it wasn't necessarily because I stopped having fun or because I felt like there was some um, kind of uh, like disconnect between me and the gameplay loop that kept me from wanting to continue to engage with it. But I do think that the downside of a game that inherently simplifies things in order to give you that more like on the go feeling, something that's more flight friendly as you're putting it means that there is a loss in complexity that is going to make it difficult to sink your teeth into uh, over an extended period of time. That may or may not matter to people. You know, I think there's an argument that we overemphasize completing a game as whether or not a game is worth purchasing, whether or not it's worth your time. Um, but it is something that certainly came up for me. Is it something where you see yourself going back to this now that you've kind of started and, and gotten a little bit of momentum back for yourself? Or is this uh, a game that uh, goes back on the shelf? And as a follow-up question, 
does the sense of humor that this game tries to bring help or hurt in making that assessment? I think the thing for me with it is I can answer both questions uh, in, in one very simple thought. It gets repetitive. And not in the like, not in that like zone out gameplay loop of, you know, a dad simulator game, right? Of, of a, a trucking simulator, a farming simulator, where you, a podcast game is Yahtzee uh, Croshaw so wonderfully calls them. Um, it, it does get to a point where I'm like, yeah, I played it on one flight and I was like, oh, cool. Like, yeah, enjoyable. Put it away, put it back into my bag. And then on the next flight, I had my phone in my hand. I was listening to a podcast in airplane mode and I downloaded, you know, some movies or something to watch. And I was like, okay, cool. I can pull out my switch and I can play some more kingdom battle. And then I was like, yeah, but instead I downloaded that Nikki Lauda movie that has Chris Hemsworth in it, the F1 movie. I think I'm going to watch that instead. And then I ended up watching that movie instead. Um, that doesn't mean I'll like never ever go back to that game, back to this game, but it, it is one of those things where it's like, it needs to be the right circumstances for me to want to seek it out. And I think those circumstances are probably going to be, I'm in an enclosed space, but I don't have like a very, very long period of time where I can fit an entire movie into it, or I want to binge watch a series, or I have, you know, four or five hours, which I can actually like sit down and grind something like Breath of the Wild. Um, it's, it's very equivalent to me of like, you know, playing Pokemon Go or Marvel Snap on my phone, but just a little bit more, right? You you have like, you have fast food restaurants, right? You have your Wendy's, your McDonald's, um, your Burger Kings, where you, where you go in, you call, you go out and it's like 10 minutes, right? And then you have that like next stage of fast food, which is like your five guys, right? Or your Chipotle's where it takes a little bit longer, right? It's not, you're not immediately in and out because they already had that burger just sitting in a warming tray for the past 20 minutes as it is. Like, it's a little bit better quality. It's a little bit better. You know, the the patty is a little bit bigger. There's a little bit more meat to it, so on and so forth. And to me, that's what this game fits into versus going and sitting down at a restaurant and having a very, you know, a very nice steakhouse style burger or whatever, which would be the equivalent of like a Fire Emblem or, or an XCOM. I enjoy all three of those things. It just kind of depends what mood and what situation I'm in that makes me, you know, that I make that decision based off of. Um, the humor was, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't think I ever played a Rabbids game prior to this, but I kind of, like, understood what their humor, like, level and tolerance was, and, you know, I'm not gonna say from when I played it back then, but, like, when I played it for the hour, like, yeah, at the beginning, I was like, I was kind of chuckling, yeah, I was like, ah, oh, yeah, that's cute, ah, oh, yeah, that's funny, and then by the end of it, I was like, okay, yeah, cool, yep, okay, uh, it, it reminds me of the scene from Robot Chicken where Emperor Palpatine is going up the escalator and he's like saying Stormtrooper, Stormtrooper, because they're all saying hi to him. And then eventually he's just like, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you. Mm -hmm. Like it got to that point for me personally. Doesn't mean that's going to be everybody. But yeah, it did eventually just kind of be like, cool, can I can I ignore this stuff now and like move on? Yeah, I I agree with you, unfortunately, on that. And I, I think part of what hurts in that regard is a lot of the, like, paths between missions. You know, in XCOM, right, you've got, like, a base, and you're building things up, and you're researching new technology, and you're finding new ways to, like, change how you interact with the game. And in Mario and Rabbids Kingdom Battle, you solve some very basic linear puzzles, and there are a couple bad jokes along the way. Um, and I think the pacing of that really does make a difference. Uh, at least for me, that was the part that really slowed me down much more than any sort of um, like gameplay loop issue uh, or even the humor to a certain extent, though the humor is part of what wears that down. It's just it slows you down to be a game that I'm not nearly as interested in, um, which is unfortunate. Um, I, I guess I, I have to ask here. Are you interested, now that you have kind of revisited this, in checking out the sequel? Because as you noted, there was a sequel that came out last year, and it was better reviewed than the original. And, and a lot of people were arguing that it was an improvement on the formula. Do you think an improved version of what you experienced is something that you would proactively seek out? Or do you feel like you kind of got what you needed from the series? 
You know, Chase, um, let me let me spit this back to you as uh, I still have not completed Dredge Ace Com- or Ace Combat 7, and I haven't completed the long game that I've been playing to at some point do on this podcast. And then I also started Breath of the Wild, and I might actually want to try and play that for this podcast at some point. Um, and then there's like Spider-Man 2 is eventually going to be coming out. And then there's uh, AEW Fight Forever is coming out later this month. And no, I have too many other things that I want to play. And I'm only taking one more plane ride, you know, one more flight somewhere this year. So like maybe when I am on that plane, maybe I'll pull it out. Or maybe I'll be watching a different movie. And that's then going to lead to your next question is, do I recommend it or not? Yeah, I still recommend the game. Like, I still think it is a very good game. I just think it doesn't fit. I don't have enough of those op- those times where I'm in the perfect situation to want to play a game like it for me to even consider giving the second one any amount of time when I still haven't beaten this one. Like, I'm way more likely to... I, I'm going to a wedding in September and I'm going to have to fly someplace. Like, it's way more likely that I will try and beat this on that flight than I would be to go buy the second one when I still haven't beaten this game, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, I, I do think, you know, it's one of those... I go back and forth on this, right? Because there's a part of me that will always feel like I should play the games I bought to completion or at least get the most value out of them that I can. Uh, And there's another part of me that says that I should play the thing that I think is most fun. And so if I ever get that itch again, it's like, well, do I play the version I own that I have these problems with, but I still overall enjoyed the experience? Or do I play the upgraded version because I want to play the thing and I'd rather play the best version of it that's available? It would appear from the sales numbers that more people have your tendency here than they did to pick up the new game because... I think after an initial week of good sales, it did not sell particularly well, at least in Japan. Uh, The U.S. does a very uh, sketchy job of hiding game sales. There are a lot of uh, countries that don't uh, make this stuff public unless the game publisher chooses to. And uh, the game publisher did not choose to in this context. So you can only kind of guesstimate uh, how that did or did not go. Uh, though I will note that it is one of the few games that are based on a Nintendo property that I ever see on sale, which probably tells you something. But Walter, all of that said, would you recommend this game to some people who are in the mood for some five guy strategy, I suppose? <laughs> well, it's funny because you only get three characters to play with, but that was very clever. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. I do. I recommend it. I think it's cute. I think it's a very interesting idea. I know that the idea of combining Mario and the Rabbids was when it when it happened. I, I'm pretty sure this was an E3 announcement and like the Internet crashed. The Internet was like, what the fuck is this? Like, this is ridiculous. Nintendo's working with another company and like handing their IP over to another company because it's fucking Mario. Like, that's like Disney going to DreamWorks and being like, yeah, do a movie with Shrek and Mickey Mouse in it. Like, it it never seemed to approach anyone's concept that they would potentially do it. Um, It is, if you have ever looked at, like, a turn-based strategy game, like an XCOM, like a Fire Emblem, and have gone, I think that's too complex for me. This is a great, like, introduction to it, right? And, and I know, like, I kind of made a little bit of a joke with the toys in the sandbox thing, but it is, it is very much like my first telephone, my first turn-based strategy game. Like, it is not very punishing. It is kind of enjoyable to see the different movement abilities and the different abilities and the interactions between the Rabbids and the Mario characters. Um, it is entertaining. There's not a lot in terms of, like, depth of story. Like, it's a fucking Mario game. I'm pretty sure you can kind of figure out what the story is from there. Um, and yeah, like, it's an, it's a very easy game to, like, pick up and put down. Uh, you know, if you want to play four hours of it this day and then not pay attention to it for two weeks, you would then be able to go back, figure out how to play the game relatively quickly and, like, be on your way again. So uh, I do recommend it. And... Um, Hey, who knows? In September when I'm on a flight, 
This is probably what I'm going to be playing if I'm going to be playing anything. But Chase, yes. you gave me two doors earlier on pre-call mm -hmm. to select, to determine which game we were going to talk about. And unfortunately, I didn't choose the door that had God of War 2018 behind it. So, so what did you play? <laughs> Man, I uh, see what you didn't know is that was door seven. You really would have had to go down a few different decision trees, visual novel style to get to that one. Uh, but hey, you'll get there eventually. I'm sure the guide will get printed uh, any day now. Uh, Walter, I, before I tell you what game I'm playing, I have a couple questions for you. Uh, first... Uh, how do you feel about the French Revolution? Uh, I am a big fan. Um, mm -hmm. I know that when I placed my bet on it, I went with the underdogs, and I'm very happy that they won. That is very fair. My second question, how do you feel about bird puns? Uh, I am not a dad, so I don't think I can fully appreciate them, um, but I've been known to chuckle at a few bird puns in my day. Well, do I have a game for you then? Uh, Aviary Attorney is the game that I have been playing recently uh, with a friend of the pod, Shay. Um, we have been playing this visual novel together on and off for a bit now. And I, I mean, I just sent you, uh, Walter, a uh, image of our protagonist, J.J. Falcon, because of course the protagonist is a falcon, and I have to love any game that does that. That's just the rules of being a Falcons fan. Um, but, uh, you can see it's got this really captivating art style, right? It's this kind of like, almost like a nature sketch in terms of its accuracy of how it tries to capture the birds that are, uh, and wolves and other characters that you'll see in this. Um, but they're all part of the, the French, uh, uh, populace as of 1848, uh, which is the kind of time period that this is placed upon um and surprisingly pretty historically accurate all things considered there are a couple plot points that you can figure out if you understand the history of this era with any sort of uh intelligence um if you've if you paid attention to the war of spanish succession for instance you might be able to figure out a twist that occurs in Act Two, uh, that ends up being a pretty fun note for the uh, the game to go with. But it is a, a game that immediately gripped me because I love visual novels. I love the Ace Attorney games, and if you can't tell by the name Aviary Attorney, there is definitely a lot of influence there. Uh, and that art style was something that uh, immediately captivated me. Uh, so. I, I had to give it a shot. Chase, I have known about this game for a while, actually. Uh, and I am slightly disappointed you had not played it prior to this, because this seems like a game that if you came up to me and said, Walter, here's all the money in the world. Design a game for your friend Chase Wassener. <laughs> I'd be like, no, I'm not a game designer, but I'll hire somebody who could. And this has all the hallmarks of what I would expect a game that you would enjoy would have. Um, maybe not the art style, but I do understand, like, the art would have to be captivating to catch your interest. Mm -hmm. So when you mash all of those pieces together, right, you mash French Revolution, French history, and, and uh, a visual novel, and the Ace Attorney series, and this fantastic art style... Does it muddy anything or do all of the pieces kind of hold themselves up and create a very functional foundation for this game as a whole? You know, it's interesting because when the game starts, you think like, oh, OK, we're just meant to have a kind of a silly old time. Right. We've got J.J. Falcon, the somewhat alcoholic detective, um, his uh, kind of assistant Sparrowson who fills the uh Dr. Watson kind of role. Um, you've got uh, Valerti, who is this uh, chicken inspector um, uh, who uh, kind of uh, is, is the kind of grumpy war veteran who now serves as the head of the police. And Severin Cocorico, which is a uh, pun on the uh, 
kind of what the French use as a cockadoodle do is Coco Rico. Um, so that's kind of a, a fun little bit there. Um, and it's all just like, oh, look at this kind of tongue in cheek. We're going on a little detective adventure, going around, getting our clues and putting all of this together. And don't I feel so smart for getting all of these clues in the right order and, and making my case and um, not only freeing my client, but uh, convicting someone who uh, sure seems to be an asshole. Um, this this lion of a man, quite literally, um, a corrupt corporate executive um, who you're more than happy to uh, to throw in jail. But see, here's the thing, Walter. Uh, and I'm I this happens early enough in the game that I am willing to mention this, though. Uh, anyone who wants to skip 15 seconds ahead so they don't know, uh, go ahead and do this now. Great. He didn't do it. He's innocent. In fact, the person that you just got off for the crime was the one who did it. And she tells you so in this kind of victory speech that she gives. And your character does not handle it well. Um, understandably so. The game, starting with the second trial, uh, becomes a very different kind of experience. Because it does the thing that the best Ace Attorney games have already always done. You've been thrown out of your comfort zone now. You are now having to not only look at each individual case and each piece of evidence with scrutiny, but you're also having to question where the game is leading you. And where the game is leading, of course, is the revolution of 1848. Um, you have Louis-Philippe, the king of France, the citizen king, as he is known. Uh, in this case... Uh, played by a, um, I, I believe a penguin. It is he is a a penguin that is, um, very full of himself. He loves showing up to trials because he just likes to be a witness, whether he knows anything or not. He's just happy to be there. Um, and every single time that he does something that you think would be nice, um, he doesn't, uh, he does it in the the dumbest or worst possible way possible. Um, one of his lines in this that I really loved, I'm a good person. I don't hate poor people. Sure, I feel mild contempt for them, but don't we all? Like, that's the guy he is, uh, which is very much who Louis-Philippe was in real life as well. And it's really interesting to see this game, a game that has such an inherently silly concept on the surface, what if Ace Attorney but everyone's an animal? And grounded it in this historical period that honestly undervalued by video games the the french revolution we've seen at least in a couple different places but usually you're thinking about the revolution of 1830 or you're thinking about the revolution of 1796 1848 is a weird one because it was in in many ways a sort of bloodless revolution right it was an abdication after trying to be assassin, after so many assassination attempts, after so much clear rebellion in the streets that was going to go quite poorly. And this game recreates some of that. You, you, you get to this point where you recognize that the tension in this aviary attorney world is just ratcheting more and more the further you get into the story to the point where revolution feels inevitable. And your actions determine where that goes. And that's pretty cool. That's I did not expect my little bird detective game to give me an interesting history lesson, but it sure did. And I love it for that. Very quickly, before I get to an actual point, I do have to respect an autocrat who knows when he's lost. And it's just like, yeah, I'm, I, you guys win. I'm out. I'm done. Like, hey, just, just don't behead me, but like, you guys win. Like I can, I can kind of respect when an autocrat has that moment. But it is fascinating that there are so many of these moments in media in general, right? We'll talk, you know, whether it is movies or video games or TV shows or or whatever that they do these very interesting versions of events, right? That they they hide it behind some sort of clever. Um, you know, clever game design, clever, you know, uh, Robin Hood by making, you know, the Disney version, you know, King uh, Richard being the, the lion or whatever, like all of these different things. And like 
teaching people and being educational. Um, and yeah, like French revolutions are a very underrepresented form in media. Obviously we have, you know, Les Miserables, but yeah, besides that and let them eat cake, you really don't think about the French revolting unless it's modern times and you happen to be watching like international news a lot and you're just like watching the French protest something that has been wrong in America for a very, 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 very long time. And you yeah. just sit there and go, why can the French do this? And we can't, I'm sorry, this isn't a political podcast. Uh, <laughs> birds. We sure could Chase. learn something, huh? It'd be interesting. Chase, what's your favorite bird? Uh, I mean, I, I do love, uh, my, my boy, uh, JJ Falcon though. Honestly, um, I really enjoyed, um, what we got from uh, Severin Kokoriko, who ends up being kind of the prosecutor and rival in this. Um, there's a lot of like Edgeworth vibes from him, uh, which those of you who have played like the original uh, Ace Attorney games will immediately recognize, except he comes in kind of having already gone through uh, the first couple waves of that character development, which inherently makes him immediately more interesting. Um, you know, I, I I talked about our uh, nefarious uh, Penguin King, who, uh, unfortunately, Walter, does not necessarily step down so much as he's so incompetent that he finds himself in a position in which uh, he is uh, needing to be saved from himself uh, for, for better and for worse. Um, he locked himself out of her side, didn't he? <laughs> I, I will not give away exactly where it goes because his arc ends in the final mission and I want people to play this game because, spoiler alert, I recommend it. Um, I will say my favorite uh, character, uh, character like puns, uh, it is a tie. Um, we have uh, Judge Romulus and Frere Remus, uh, these two wolves, um, one, a, one a judge, one a friar, as you can guess. Um, but very much a recreation of the Roman myth of that city's founding uh, and the way the two of them bounce off each other very much recreate some of the dynamics of that myth in a way that's very fun, really clever idea to bring them into this kind of atmosphere. Um, and then, of course, uh, there's uh, Nathan, Nathan spelled N-E-I-G-H-T-H-A-N, um, who is a smartass. I mean that quite literally. He is a donkey that works in the local library and is very intelligent. Um, it's great. No, it's fantastic. Um, there's the, the croque monsieur, of course, um, which is not the sandwich, but an infamous arms dealer who happens to be a male crocodile, thus croque monsieur. Uh, it's great. Uh, look, man, you gotta get behind the puns because if you're not here for the puns, you're going to have a hard time with the game. The game does not stop with the puns. Um, but that's like, that's the thing that's fun about it is it has this kind of silly nature to it. Um, you have the, um, the kind of joy and silliness that comes from, these this eclectic cast of characters and the inherent silliness of basing a mystery game in a world in which all of the characters are animals but you also have this kind of grounded story that it's trying to tell amidst all the silliness it has commentary on the medical system and the way that debts are racked upon people who are just trying to not die and how that impacts their ability to go about their day-to-day -day life. Um, it has references to the prison system in the way that, you know, uh, prisoners are kind of abused and mistreated in the desire for a swift resolution of whatever they've determined justice means, whether or not that person is uh, guilty or otherwise. Um, it has things it wants to say. And I, I do think, you know, obviously France is known for so many different revolutions over its timeline. But I, I think picking this one was really inspired as a choice because it allows you to explore a lot of different themes while giving a clear buildup of tension and giving you what I think 
a lot of these visual novels that are that are great at gripping people and making them engage really want, which is the chance to impact the story in a way that matters. You have a real choice at the end of the third act that determines what you do in the last act uh, and how that plays out for France. Um, and that's pretty awesome. Um, and makes up for things like uh, the fact that you find a like chocolate wrapper inside a random urn at the Notre Dame. Uh, not the Notre Dame, sorry. The uh, the Palais de Justice. Um, and I, I do think it's very... Um, though the Notre Dame is there and there's a whole catacombs thing that plays off of historically how so many dead bodies were kind of put into the catacombs underneath such that the church closed them off. Uh, and those catacombs were then used as a hiding place for revolutionaries uh, that the church happened to support because there was a lot of the religion versus secularism angle to all of this. So it's just, it's a really interesting mix of a game that is silly and fun, but has a lot it wants to talk about and does so eloquently, which is really cool. That's always the worry with with games like this. I know I kind of joked at the beginning, it's these like four things that, and are any of them muddied is, you know, is a game able to pull off having all of these different, you know, different pieces that it, it's trying to be and some games just can't can't do it. Whereas this one, it sounds like it does, it does with a plum and it, all of it makes sense together. You need to have the, you know, the humor of the puns to sort of make the heavier topics that it's discussing feel heavy, but also then, ha you know, have the brevity of the jokes to, you know, remind you that you are playing a video game and that despite the world around you sucking, um, you're here to do something enjoyable. I, is there a but here, Chase? Because I don't, I don't hear it in your voice. I don't hear the, oh yeah, it's amazing. Everything is going great. But I, I don't hear that. So is this, is this a relatively like, Clear-cut, 100% recommend, there's no warts, it's all, it's all beautiful? I mean, if you want a but, I can give you a but. Um, which is that it has, I think, the classic visual novel problem, which is to say that there are very specific solutions that you need to pull off in order to successfully uh, find your way to victory in your case. And unlike the Ace Attorney games, there are no guardrails that prevent you from fucking up. If you don't play with a guide, it is very possible to miss vital pieces of uh, information or vital clues that you would have needed to make your case. And the game never tells you that you missed those things. Um, now, if you're like me and you're playing these things for the story and you are like trying to put it together yourself, but ultimately are happy and comfortable checking the guide to make sure that you're on the right track, then that's not really a problem because you're playing it more as a visual novel than you are as a raw video game experience. And the fact that it's uh, a little bit unforgiving with certain decisions isn't really a problem. If you're someone who really likes uh, a challenge with your mystery games, I would argue that this game does a better job of doing that than the Ace Attorney games because you can fuck up. If you don't put these clues together and understand how they interact with each other, there are going to be things that you just straight up miss. And I don't know how well the game allows you to adapt to that, but my understanding is that uh, quite a few of those things are like must-haves. So the fact that the game is willing to let you fail if you don't put in the work and, and figure these things out can be really appealing to people. But if you're looking for an Ace Attorney-style experience, uh, an experience in which you get to kind of... Um, put in the detective work in the cases while trusting that the in-between periods are going to lead you where you need to go because the game will not proceed until you talk to everyone you need to talk to and find everything that you need to find. This game doesn't have those guardrails. Uh, and there were multiple times in which, you know, Shay and I were talking about how we missed those guardrails because it meant that we had to use a guide if we wanted to make sure that we weren't replaying, you know, a case in a, in a way that, like, because I was playing with a friend and playing online, we didn't necessarily have the time to do, right? Uh, it was going to be either doing it the right way that the game had in mind 
or we would eventually just kind of fall off on it because there were only so many play sessions and so many hours we were going to be able to put in. So um, that matters to some people. I'm sure someone out there is like, oh, man, but guides are out there. They're very easy to find. Steam has one that is very in-depth and does both a spoiler-free and a spoiler-filled version. So if you just want to find out what happened, that's there. Uh, if you want to play the game without knowing where stuff is going to lead, but know that you're at the right place, um, that's there too. And to me, that's more than enough for me to say uh, that I wholeheartedly recommend the game. It's a fun time. It's a fun little adventure into this bird world. Um, and uh, power to the people. I think that's uh, a good way to kind of close things off here, Walter. Um, but uh, if, you know, if people want to reach out to you or, or uh, to the show and talk about these games or, you know, what games they'd love to see us play, where can the nice folks at home find you, Walter? Oh, I, I'm sorry. Uh, CM Punk has been officially announced as returning to AEW. So oh. two weeks I get him. Yay, drama! Everything's great. <laughs> uh, but as always, you guys can find me at C80s underscore LOL. Uh, you can find the podcast at Rough Drafts Pod. As always, uh, you can find the podcast on your favorite podcast platform of choice, either in the separate feeds of Final Cut or Steam Cleaners or the combined Rough Drafts podcast feed. Uh, Chase, I, I just, I needed something else to transition because I just didn't have a great way to transition out of like, you wholly recommended the game. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, look, uh, you, you can follow CM Punk at CM Punk, I believe, if you want to keep up with the craziness that's going to be happening there. But more importantly, you can find me at Chase Wassenaar on Twitter. Um, I, I am uh, private at the moment because... Uh, with everything going on, uh, I feel like uh, I'm going to keep some opinions to myself for a little bit, but you can find me. And if you're here for the podcast, I'm going to let you in. Um, it's it's uh, cool and neat that way, that whole private Twitter thing. Um, but of course, we would love to hear from you. We'd love to hear your thoughts on these games, any of the other games we've played in the past. Um, and uh, come back in two weeks where we will do another one of these lovely Steam Cleaners episodes. And I promise, next week, we will be doing the Final Cut podcast. Thank you to those of you who are primarily Final Cut people who stuck with this episode. Gave this a shot, given that um, we, we didn't have a, a show for y'all this week. Uh, appreciate everyone's flexibility. Uh, but until next time, goodbye, Internet. <laughs>